Hello and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. The Maritime Ireland radio show is about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. So important to this island nation, where the connection with the sea is as old as time itself. A fundamental part of Ireland, socially and economically. Maritime Ireland is therefore an audio journal of and about the marine sphere, bringing together an island people in the community of the sea. There are times when I'm astonished by what I'm told about the state attitude towards the maritime sector. Here are two examples. Why can't we come along and do the same as Iceland and the Faroes and even now Greenland are doing where they're taking a hundred thousand ton of market leach and just giving the fingers to Europe. But we can't do that because Europe would say, oh, we're going to cut off your agricultural grants or we'll cut off something or other. That's one of the leading marine scientists in Ireland, Kevin Flannery from Dingle in County Kerry. Very annoyed that state agencies are not showing interest in developing a new fishery for Ireland. And you'll find this hard to believe. But the government won't give COVID-19 assistance to a company which operates boats because the boats move. From Killary Harbour, Ireland's only fjord, Mihola Kuna, founder and managing director of the Killary Fjord Boat Tours Company, doesn't think much of that attitude towards the marine sector. They probably have no appreciation or understanding. It's completely illogical and it's an example, I suppose, of the low esteem with which any maritime business in this country is held. Two very outspoken views which we'll be discussing further in this edition of the Maritime Ireland Radio Show. A welcome now to listeners of Tip Midwest Radio in the Premier County, often described as inland, but which has big maritime connections. The Shannon, the Shore and the Nore, great rivers flow through Tipperary. And there's Loch Derg, forming the western boundary of the county. So Tipperary is a big part of the marine sector. We're delighted to welcome aboard the 18th local community radio station to join our maritime family, Tip Midwest Radio. The fishing industry is facing serious difficulties because of Brexit. After the deal was signed, Marine Minister Charlie McConnellogue and Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney put the loss at 35 million euros. However, statistics from the Minister's own Department of the Marine show Ireland will lose 43 million. The industry itself predicts the loss could go to 85 million when the cost to ancillary businesses dependent on fishing is included. By comparison with what Ireland has suffered, an overall 15% of quota loss, according to those department figures, France has lost just 8% and Spain only 4%. Alternatives are needed and a potential big fishery has been discovered off the southwest coast. But state agencies are accused of not developing it. 
One of Ireland's top marine scientists is Kevin Flannery, based in Dingle, and he's very unhappy about this. Yeah, well, basically, Tom, uh, over the last year or more, you know, over 40 years I've been collecting weird and wonderful fish, and fishermen from all around the coast have been contacting me and my colleague Declan Quigley above in Dublin. But in the last year, they've picked up some anchovies, and we hadn't recorded anchovies ever in this water, and they were getting them in the pots. Uh, Vincent Regan and Goline and one of the lads in Steam and all over the place were getting them, and that's over a year ago. And then the boats, the two pelagic boats, were out here fishing for sprat, and they came across a shot of this fish, and they uh, sent me a photograph, and I confirmed that it was anchovies. So they felt it was our, they rang the SFBA and they got clearance to land them because they're no quota species. And they're new in here and under the landing obligation anyway. They have to land whatever they catch. So they came ashore with them. But the volume that they were able to pick up and fish for since, that's over a month ago. And I think they have landed close on about five to 6,000 tonne of these between uh, vessels in Baltimore and Cascatown Bear and Dingle. So these are a new species, but you're not talking of individuals. You're talking of millions and millions of fish. So um, then uh, when they were finished the sardine or the, the um, anchovy fishing away, they came across another mark, and these were sardines or pilchards. And a week ago on BBC, on the Open University programme, they were showing the fishery that has developed down in, in, in Cornwall, out of Newland and out of Portsmouth and those places. And it's an anchovy and a sardine. It's a sardine fishery mostly, where they have 15 vessels engaged. A beautiful fishery, a sanded fishery, where 15 vessels are making a very good living. And if they get anchovies, they were getting close on £2,000 sterling a tonne for them. Whereas the boats here have been landing them, and because there was no market, no organisation of anything done, they were sending them to fish meal for the sake of a couple of hundred euros. Now, this is an awful waste of a resource, in my opinion, Tom. And I honestly feel that something, that the whole department should come together and say, hello, the Department of Marine, you're in charge of the resources of this country, for the people of this country, and it should be utilised properly. But when I went public on it, I get a call that the Marine Institute, in their survey last year, came across marks of these all the way down off of the Celtic Sea, down off of Dunmore East, off of the... Minehead all the way back along and had come across sardines as well. So somebody obviously wasn't talking to the next person within the various departments, like BIM stated only a week or two ago that they can't see anything in relation to climate change and it will have a detrimental effect on the indigenous fisheries. But they didn't highlight the fact that now we have these species in our waters and there is a huge potential, a huge potential for the inshore fishery, even if you only allowed the closed box area that we have for the herring, small herring men over in Dunmore East and allow them back fishing there and give them the, the develop the sanded fishery for them. This is this would be huge advantageous and it'll take the pressure off of them and it'll take the pressure off of other species like the herrings. And as well as that, if they're all the way from the Shannon all the way around to Wexford and you have the sardines with it, I can't see why BIM and the Marine Institute the Department of Marine shouldn't say, okay, let's organise a fishery and let's organise this resource sustainable now for once because these are exclusively inside the Irish six-mile limit and they're our property and they're for us to do what we will. But 
the thing that bothers me Tom, mostly is that all of a sudden the Spanish or the Europeans might say, oh, hello, Pat, they're our spawning stock and you don't have the right to them like they did with the bluefin tuna when we know full well that we have thousands of them off our course. I have photographs of myself with them, with dingle vessels landed them in 1974. and But yet we're not legally entitled to catch one of them because, oh, they're not yours. Why can't we come along and do the same as Iceland and the Faroes and even now Greenland are doing, where they're taking a 100,000 ton of market leach and just giving the fingers to Europe. But we can't do that because Europe would say, oh, we're going to cut off your agricultural grants or we'll cut off something or other, and you're not doing it, but we don't have people strong enough. But the consequences of the 25% eminent cut on the market and the 13% on the prawn fishery might force somebody to wake up in the department and make them look at the resources that we have. And I honestly feel that there's an urgent need for the marinas here. If they do come across these species, like Quigley has, has, has been picking up huge volumes of bream. We picked up these um, octopus, these Mediterranean octopus, down in Sneem, down in Goleen, down in Skull, in Dingle, that have potential then for the potmen that they catch them and sell them because they are very lucrative fish. So between these three species alone, there is potential for fishery development and for them to diversify and make it. But the funding has to be put into it. But at the same time, it's tie-up schemes and decommissioning isn't the answer for Ireland's fishing. People have to be allowed to fish and we have to maintain and hold on to what we are. So where they're going to go with with the proposed cuts they have. But what I'm saying immediately is that we utilise the anchovies and the sardine fisheries that have come into our waters because you're looking at huge stocks. It seems a bit of a shocker to me hearing what you're saying, Kevin, that the possibilities aren't recognised by the state agencies when they should be. It is. It was a shock to me as well when people in the Marines, I have contact there and I contact them and I say, oh yeah, Kevin. Uh, we actually can send you a, a photograph of, of the soundings and we also can send you details of the survey uh, in the 2020 October survey that we came across a greater abundance of them down the south coast. Now, either people aren't reading it or maybe there's a misunderstanding between the states that agencies, when they come across a resource, that they should inform, hello, we found a huge stock of sardines. We found a huge stock of this and inform the department, and vice versa, BIM, are they meeting at all? Never in a train shall meet, that it shouldn't be up to the likes of me and Quigley and other people down the coast of fishermen to all of a sudden find these and say, well, we'll just take them and, and send it all into fish meal. This resource, if it's there, then the heads of the departments and the departments should know this. Because if you look at the potential of 5,000 tonnes, we'll say, of anchovies landed, at 2,000 pounds a tonne, instead of £200 a tonne. This is crazy. This is not utilising or managing the resources. Somebody somebody needs to bang the table and bring these people together and bang their heads and say, when and if you ever again come across a resource like this, we need to know and we need to organise and people need to develop it between Board Bia, BIM and the Department of Marine who are in charge of all these. But... Maybe they have too many headlights coming at them at the moment between Brit Exit and, 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 and uh, BIPs and border inspection posts and all that kind of stuff. But at least if you find resources, people should be told about it and we should be looking at developing it. 
Look at the cuteness and the awareness of the Dutch where they have moved the factory vessels into the ferries. They've moved into Lithuania. They have moved all over. The Danes have moved into Greenland. They have moved into Iceland. They've moved into the Faroes. And who's left holding the baby? Ireland. I've asked for a comment from the Minister for the Marine and it would also be interesting to hear from other state agencies about what Kevin Flannery says. Boats are built to move. That seems obvious, but not apparently to the Department of Finance. According to Mihola Kuna, Managing Director and Founder of Killery Fjord Boat Tours Company, which operates vessels on Ireland's only fjord and on the River Liffey and Grand Canal in Dublin, as well as the Jeannie Johnston moored at Custom House Quay. Killery Fjord is at Leenan in Connemara, a beautiful part of the country. Well, we were set up 20 years ago in the year 2000 and we started off in Killery Fjord in the village of Linan. At that location, we operate what's called Killery Fjord Boat Tours, which is on a 22-metre custom-built catamaran that was purchased and was built for us indeed at that time. Uh, And we've been running there for the last 20 years and um, would have had well in excess of half a million people on board at this stage. So the second one then is in Dublin on the River Liffey and we set up there 15 years ago and that is trades under the name Dublin Discovered Boat Tours. That one is based at Bachelor's Walk. Again, the vessel was custom built and designed for the River Liffey by the Dublin Docklands Development Authority at the time. And we purchased the vessel from them over five years ago and we've been operating there for over 15 years. The third one then is the Jeannie Johnston Tallship. We've been maintaining and operating that vessel on behalf of Dublin City Council for over 10 years. Two of these vessels are obviously mobile. That's how they have to do their service. They have to operate and to move. One, the Jeannie Johnston, is a fixed exhibit, as we know, and we know of its history and how it sailed to America and Canada and that. The difficulty that you're having, as I understand it, is that while your operations need to be mobile to provide the service, that very mobility is not working to your benefit in the current COVID pandemic payments situation. Yes, very much so. The CRSS, the COVID Restriction Support Scheme, is completely focused on bricks and mortar businesses, businesses that operate from a building. And uh, the legislation that underpins the scheme refers to a business premises as being either a building or indeed a fixed structure. And I've been arguing that the Jeannie Johnston is indeed a fixed structure in that it doesn't move. In fact, it is not possible to move it, even though it is a ship. It is not licensed or not capable of moving anywhere under its own steam anymore. So to move it would require the bringing in of a big barge or another ship and lifting the ship up on board and off you go. Much the same way that you would come and move a prefab um, building. So if you want to move a prefab, you come along with a truck and a crane and you lift it up and off you go. So the Jeannie Johnston is in exactly the same category and should be regarded as a fixed structure, in my view. Um, So that's my argument there. 
Now, what about the two vessels then that are mobile? They have to be, obviously, though there can't be a lot of business at the present time or perhaps for the past few months. They are mobile, but that's how they provide their service. That's exactly it. Uh, and in fact, there's a third vessel, which I was just, uh, which I should include, which is our business on the Grand Canal based at Nespel Road. It's a barge. We carry 50 people up and down the canal on dinner cruises. And all of those three vessels are mobile in that they move within very restricted uh, areas when we have passengers on board. And um, even though they do move, they themselves as businesses are very much not mobile. And what I mean by that is you cannot take the boat on the Liffey and simply sail away out into Dublin Bay and appear somewhere else and carry out your business as normal. Uh, the vessel is, none of the three vessels are seagoing vessels. So indeed to move them requires bringing in a bigger vessel. And with a crane, lifting the smaller vessel, our vessels on board and off you go. So they are not mobile in the sense that they are fixed to very uh, restricted areas defined within the terms of our license. So the businesses are not mobile. Um, so technically, I'm making that argument that under the terms of the Act, we should qualify. But the Department of Finance has not accepted that argument. Does this indicate they don't understand the, the maritime sphere? Is that the point you're making? They don't understand the business? They probably have no appreciation or understanding of the marine-related businesses that we are involved in. Indeed, in drafting the Act initially, why did they um, restrict it to buildings and building premises? So an example would be if I take our boat in Killary, it represents an investment of uh, upwards of €2 million at this point over 20 years which is considerably more in terms of capital of local restaurants and considerably bigger indeed in scale than many local restaurants and has just the same overhead and expenses as any building has. Yet arbitrarily, and it's a totally arbitrary decision, they said we will design this legislation with buildings in mind and we will ignore every other business that is not based in a in a building, presumably on some misguided belief that, well, if you're not in a building, you don't have overhead. It's completely illogical, and it's an example, I suppose, of the low esteem with which any maritime business in this country is held. Have you many employees affected by this? What's going to happen if you can't get an answer to your operation to get support? We do benefit from the current employee wage subsidy scheme to retain 10 of our key employees so that when tourism does open up again, we have at least got a shot at reviving our business and preserving tourism infrastructure that we provide. And the point I, I would like to make, it's deeply ironic in these times when the general maritime infrastructure of Ireland is being increased on a massive scale when you consider the, the vessels that are employed now to sail directly from Dublin to Holland and from Wexford down to the continent. There's a massive increase taking, in investment taking place in our maritime infra infrastructure on a national scale, yet our domestic tourism marine infrastructure is being totally ignored. And I, I find that shameful and deeply ironic.
I asked the Department of Finance for comment. The main point of their response is that, quote, the particular businesses mentioned do not qualify on the basis that they could be moved, even if currently moored. Therefore, they are considered a mobile premises and do not qualify as a business premises, unquote. In an island nation, isn't that an amazing state attitude? Have you ever thought of how wonderful our wetlands are? This is the 50th anniversary of the International Ramsar Convention for the Conservation and Use of Wetlands. Neil Fitzgerald coordinates the Irish Wetlands Bird Survey for Birdwatch Ireland. Here's her beautiful description of Irish wetlands. As a celebration of this anniversary, we want to make this the year to fall in love with our wetlands take stock of the wonders they hold, discover flocks of migrating birds feeding in salt marsh, fish and insects at your local river, lizards sunbathing by the coast, and beautiful orchids nestled in the sand dunes. In Ireland, wetlands really aren't hard to come by either. The definition of, of what counts as a wetland is quite broad. Uh, they come in all different shapes and sizes. They encompass areas of land which are saturated with water either permanently or seasonally. They can be man-made or natural, static or flowing. Wetlands encompass everything from wet grasslands to shallow coasts and they're found throughout the country. It would be a challenge to find a five kilometre patch without at least a small pocket of marshy ground, perhaps a wet woodland or even a small stream. Even in built-up areas, wetlands are all around us just waiting to be explored. 45 of our splendid wetlands are designated as Ramsar sites, many of which also overlap with special protected areas. For example, Wexford Wildfire Reserve hosts the majority of the Irish population of wintering Greenland, white fronted geese. Sadly, for too long, we have considered these bountiful sites to be wastelands, not the wonderlands that they are. As a result, many are under threat from issues such as drainage, turf cutting, nutrient enrichment, and the spread of invasive species, to name a few. If we don't stop the loss of these wetlands, we will lose all the wonders that go along with them in the near future. Just as, as water and life are inseparable, we cannot disentangle ourselves from these vital ecosystems. Ireland as a nation is truly inseparable from water. As an island, we're surrounded by it. It's the lifeblood of our land flows through our rivers and lakes, which in turn feed back to our seas. It falls around us, perhaps more frequently than most of us care for. Without it, we would not have our turlocks and boglands that are so unique to this country and undeniably intertwined with our heritage and history. From the pure enjoyment wetlands create, and the tourism they generate, to the functions they provide, such as fresh water, flood prevention, slowing climate change through carbon storage, wetlands keep this country going and they save us millions in the process. So to celebrate the anniversary, a series of videos, each focusing on the different wetland type, will be released over the coming months, starting on World Wetlands Day on February 2nd. And we're encouraging people to, to get out there and find and explore your local wetland. A photo competition will also be launched on that same day, so people should snap a picture of a wetland or the nature they find there to be in with a chance to win the competition. Details will be released on the website irishwetlands.ie.
Nia Fitzgerald of Birdwatch Ireland and of the Irish Ramsar Wetlands Committee, describing there the wonder and magnificence of our Irish wetlands. Keep an eye out for the celebration event details on irishwetlands.ie. Another anniversary is that of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, which is 30 years in existence, and of which the CEO is Simon Barrow. Its headquarters are in Kilroish County, Clare. It's been an interesting year in sightings in Irish waters, hasn't it, Simon? This may be our second best year ever in terms of whale and dolphin sightings reported to the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. Those were the words of Irish Whale and Dolphin Group sightings officer Porrick Hooley in the newsletter to the members of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. This comprises 11 species and 1,850 sightings, which is an 8% increase in sightings on last year. We suspect that some of this is due to the effects of COVID. In our case, a positive impact of COVID, as people have stayed at home, travelled locally, explored and discovered their local patch. And if you're lucky enough to live near the sea or near a headland, people have been watching and reporting what they've seen. And the evidence for the COVID effect, if you like, is the higher proportion of sightings that have been categorised as unidentified. So people have seen whales and dolphins, but they're not too sure what they are. This is uh, probably uh, an aspect of less experienced people starting to engage with the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. So that's really good that we're getting people aware and recording. And it's a challenge to the Whale and Dolphin Group to improve that sighting identification skills over the next few years. So there's a very positive effect of COVID on the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group recording scheme. We're actually 30 years old, Tom. Uh, the Irish Wind Dolph Group was formed in December 1990, so we're in our 30th year. And normally we would have had a big party to celebrate surviving 30 years as an NGO in Ireland. But of course, in these COVID times, everything's gone online. So this year, we were the same. We had our annual meeting online, uh, Whale Tales, with five hours of live broadcast from West Clare. We have invested in hardware and software to enable us to go online. Uh, we use StreamYard software and we've bought things like ATEM so that we can um, edit between different uh, camera images. And this was uh, through sponsorship from the Irish Environmental Network uh, with kind of these COVID payments, if you like. So this means that we will be able to engage online even more in 2021. And we're planning to do monthly blubber bulletin updates. So looking back um, at the stories of the month, sightings, strandings, people's experiences. So the first one will go out um, first week of February. So we uh, look forward to engaging with members and listeners and new people to whales and dolphins uh, through that. We're also launching in a couple of weeks time uh, our Blubber book. This is a fantastic publication produced by our education outreach officer, Shabelle Regan, sponsored by Innis, our beloved core funders. And this book is aimed at four to six classes and to introduce them into whales and dolphins and the science behind them. And at a time when, you know, parents are trying to get their kids off tablets and devices and maybe engage at a different level, it's a, a fantastic uh, publication to have. So if anyone's interested in that, please email education at iwdg.ie, Shabelle Regan, and she'll be happy to um, get a copy out to you. So uh, as we enter a new year, another exciting year, who knows what will turn up, but we hope that... It'll be another good year for sightings, a bad year for strandings, and a great year for engagement with all your listeners. So this is Dr. Simon Barrow of the Irish Well and Dolphin Group, signing off.
Thanks, Simon. And that publication introducing young people to the world of whales, dolphins and the sea is a great idea. With that news, we end this edition of the Maritime Ireland Radio Show, which is broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland and podcasts. It's in Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. Cork on CRY 104FM Yall, from where the programme originates on the east coast of County Cork. And also in Cork on UCC Radio, Bear Island Radio and West Cork FM. Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. On Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, Kilkenny City Radio, Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Belmullet. On Southwest Clare Radio, Radio Cock of Boschkeen, West Limerick 102 FM and our newest edition, Tip Midwest Radio in Tipperary. Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Spotify and the marinetimes.ie. The programme website address is tomacsweeneymarine.ie. That's tomacsweeneymarine.ie. Or look up Maritime Ireland Radio Show. Our email address is maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com. That's maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com. Phone or text 0872-555-197. That's 0872-555-197. Sound supervision on the programme by Justin Marr. Until our next programme, the usual wish of fair sailing.